Season two is here, folks. Welcome to episode one of the second season of Unknown Friends, something I never thought I'd say when I started the podcast last April. I am your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wham Productions, and thank you so much for listening, both today and throughout the whole first season. You guys are the best, and you you inspire me to keep reading, keep talking about books, keep learning, so thank you for all your support. This coming season is going to look pretty similar to season one. I don't have any plans for major changes to the structure or content of the podcast. Most of the feedback I've gotten from you guys has just been to keep doing what I've been doing, so that's easy. Thank you, by the way, to each of you who have reached out and shared your input. It's been so helpful to hear your thoughts. Uh, what you like most about the podcast, what books you have especially enjoyed hearing about, um, your book suggestions for future reviews. It's all helpful to hear. So thank you so much for being in touch with me personally. As always, if at any time you have questions or comments about the books I review, about my approach to reading, about um, how to make more time for reading, like I discussed in last week's bonus episode, always feel free to message me. You can get in touch with me through my website, www.kittywamproductions.com, or you can contact me directly through Facebook or Instagram. All those links are in the episode description below. But back to the point, season two will look very similar to season one overall. Um, I'm not intending to proactively restructure anything, but I will just say, don't be shocked if I experiment in, in small ways. I would love to discuss poetry occasionally, so every now and then I may do an episode where instead of a book review, I share a poem with you, a little bit like I did in my bonus Christmas episode, and I'll do a bit of analysis, sharing a few thoughts about what makes the poem work, what it means, why it's worth reading, so don't be surprised if poetry slips into the agenda now and then. Also, don't be surprised if occasionally I take two episodes to discuss a single book instead of just one episode. At this point, I don't foresee that happening regularly, but now and then there may be a book that I review, but I can't quite leave it at that. Uh, the book may be begging for a deeper analysis, maybe even including some plot spoilers, but if that's ever the case, I will give you fair warning in advance. But in any event, just don't be taken aback if I poke and prod a little at the structure we created last season. Nothing huge, but I do intend to experiment just a little in season two, so hold on to your hat and you will be just fine. Now, today's book. I have been looking forward to this one for quite a while. 84 Charing Cross Road by Helene Hanf. So I heard this book recommended to book lovers and Anglophiles, both of which I am. Uh, so I actually asked for and received a copy of 84 Charing Cross Road this Christmas and then read it in, I think, two sittings. It's quite short. And then I knew I had to open this season of Unknown Friends with it. It really is perfect for our podcast title and the statement that inspired it, Reading Brings Us Unknown Friends, from the French novelist and playwright Honoré de Balzac. 
84 Charing Cross Road is actually not a work of fiction, unlike the vast majority of the books I review. It is a collection of real letters that were exchanged across the Atlantic between the author, Helene Hanf, and a bookseller in London, Frank Dole. Helene and Frank never met in person, but this memoir records their 20-year correspondence, which began with a professional inquiry about a book and soon led to friendship. So it's an epistolary novel composed entirely of letters, mostly between Helene and Frank, but then you also get occasional letters thrown in the mix from Frank's wife, Nora, and also a few of his co-workers at the bookshop, Marks and Co., who also kind of get to know Helene, although Frank is her closest friend and correspondent. Uh, and I should add, the Marks and Co. bookshop is located at 84 Charing Cross Road in London, so that is where the memoir gets its title. So essentially, this book is an account of reading bringing us unknown friends, the way a, a shared love of literature can bond people, even across oceans, without them ever even meeting face to face. So uh, Helene Hanf is an ambitious young writer, 33 years old at the start of 84 Charing Cross Road, living on her own in New York City, trying to make it as a playwright and script reader. Now, let me go ahead and insert here the little that is publicly known about Helene Hanf's biography. She was born in 1916 and grew up during the Depression in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. From what I understand, her family was too poor to send her to college for higher education, so Helene read. She was working, and in the time that she had to spare, she would just go to the library and read lectures and history. She preferred nonfiction to fiction. She wrote plays for years and tried to get them produced on Broadway, but she never succeeded on that front throughout her entire uh, 80 years of life. She did, however, in the 50s, find work writing scripts for TV dramas. And then later in life, she eventually wrote a couple of books, all, I believe, nonfiction, and 84 Charing Cross Road is her most famous work. It really propelled her into a bit of fame and created a pretty strong fan base for her. I saw the book described one place as a cult classic, which is a bit odd to me, uh, but I mean, it, it is delightful. Uh, anyway, soon after its publication in 1970, 84 Charing Cross Road, somewhat ironically, was adapted, not by Helene, as a play which ran in London and on Broadway, and then eventually became a film as well when Helene was 70 years old. The author remained single throughout her life and died in New York City just days before her 81st birthday in 1997 and 84 Charing Cross Road remains her best-known and best-loved work. So, back to the book itself. It is very short, not quite 100 pages long, and the majority of those pages are only partial because many of the letters exchanged between Helene and Frank are only, you know, half a page long or so. The memoir begins with a professional letter from Helene in New York City to the Marks & Co. bookshop in London, which she saw an ad for as an antiquarian bookseller specializing in out-of-print works. And she has a short list of books and essays that she hopes she may be able to purchase from them. 
She gets a polite reply from someone with the initials FPD, who is mailing her a few of the books she requested and tells her the shop will keep their eyes open for the others on her list. And so begins the correspondence that soon turns into friendship. While the letters continue to discuss books, and Helene, over the next 20 years, purchases many volumes from the bookshop, gradually, as the acquaintance becomes more personal, so do the letters. Uh, Helene shares with Frank and the other booksellers little tidbits about her work and, you know, her home, her friends, and her hopes to travel to England sometime and visit their bookshop especially. And then on the other side, Frank eventually writes about his wife and daughters, their health, their vacations. Um, and Frank's wife, Nora, as I mentioned, sometimes writes to Helene directly as well. So it really becomes a lovely little uh, community, almost, not just a two-person friendship. Now, I don't know exactly why, but my expectations about this book uh, especially about the personality of Helene, were not quite accurate going into it. Uh, but I was delightfully surprised with what I found. I had heard the book called Charming, um, Endearing, Heartwarming, and it is all of those things. But I somehow formed this preconception of Helene, the American writer, as this quaint, sweet, shy little bookworm of a woman, maybe a, a librarian stereotype of sorts or something. But that is not true. My first clue was picking up the book to begin reading it and seeing one of the endorsement quotations on the back cover that described the book as side-splitting, which puzzled me a little at the moment, and I thought, you know, might be an exaggeration. But while I don't want to give the impression that the entire work, cover to cover, is a comedy reel, I did laugh out loud while reading, uh, many times. And just throughout the whole, Helene's writing style in particular highly amused me. She, she is not quite the sweet, shy librarian that I envisioned. Uh, you could call her quaint, but she is feisty at least in writing. Her, her style was so unexpectedly sarcastic and dramatic and opinionated and just thoroughly humorous. I was delighted with her wit and her many words that are underlined or better yet written in all capital letters for emphasis. So when you experience the back and forth between her letters and those of Frank from the bookshop, you really get an entertaining view of the comparison and contrast between this independent, all-American woman and a respectable, thorough Englishman. Now, I don't want to emphasize the cultural differences too much because it's not like these people are stereotypes. However, you do still notice the cultural differences, and that is very enjoyable. Now, having described Helene as spunky and almost theatrical sometimes in her expressive writing style, she is a playwright after all, even so, she is sweet in her own way. And probably the best example of this is the number of gifts she sends to the Marks & Co. bookshop and to Frank and his family. What really starts this is the rationing that was still in place in the United Kingdom at the end of the 40s uh, when this correspondence begins. A couple months after she first writes to the bookshop, 
Helene learns from an English acquaintance in New York City that the British are only allowed two ounces of meat per family per week and only one egg per person per month. That seems pretty uh, stiff, and so Helene thinks. So shortly after learning this, for Christmas, she orders a six-pound ham to be sent to the bookshop for the workers to share, which, as you can imagine, makes quite an impression. Frank and his co-workers are amazed and grateful, and I think this gesture uh, raises their curiosity about Miss Helene Hanf, even perhaps more than her funny letters already had. And she continues sending them gifts, at least at Easter and Christmas, for quite a while, as, as long as the rationing continues. And they, in return, do their best to find the books she wants quickly and in good condition. And so this kind of mutual giving really bonds Helene and the Marks & Co. staff, uh, who nearly all, at some point, write her personally to express their thanks for her generosity. It is heartwarming and eye-opening, uh, as this is an aspect of post-World War II history that I had not thought too much about. The hardship people faced, not only in the defeated nations of Germany and, and Japan, but in the victorious allied nations as well, especially ones like England and France and others who'd physically borne the brunt of Axis attacks and were still recovering even into the 1950s. Anyway, historical interest aside, my favorite thing about this book, I think, was Helene's personality and writing style. She surprised me and made me laugh out loud time and time again. Uh, and just to give you a concrete example of what I mean, I want to read you one or two passages from the book that show just how entertaining her letters are. So first I want to read you her letter to Frank on March 25th, 1950. This is only about six months after her very first letter to him, uh, but she does not hold back. Her drama and sarcasm are in full force in this letter, and so you can't exactly take her seriously, at least not her words at face value. Uh, she pretty consistently keeps her tongue firmly planted in her cheek. So here you go, March 25th, 1950. Frank Dole, what are you doing over there? You are not doing anything. You are just sitting around. Where is Lee Hunt? Where is the Oxford verse? Where is the Vulgate and dear goofy John Henry? I thought they'd be such nice, uplifting reading for Lent, and nothing do you send me. You leave me sitting here writing long margin notes in library books that don't belong to me. Someday they'll find out I did it and take my library card away. I have made arrangements with the Easter Bunny to bring you an egg. He will get over there and find you have died of inertia. I require a book of love poems with spring coming on. No Keats or Shelley. Send me Wyatt or Johnson or somebody. Use your own judgment. Just a nice book, preferably small enough to stick in a slacks pocket and take to Central Park. Well, don't just sit there. Go find it. I swear I don't know how that shop keeps going. So the delightful thing about all this, you understand, is that Helene's bark is rather loud, but really she is generous and grateful and interested in other people. And what's more, Mr. Frank Dole seems to understand that in the way he responds to her letters. Uh, in, in later letters throughout the book, she'll sometimes 
complain again about his slowness at finding the books she wants, saying all kinds of outrageous or sarcastic things. One time, one time she addresses her letter to Dear Speed. She writes, You dizzy me, rushing Lee Hunt and the Vulgate over here whiz-bang like that. You probably don't realize it, but it's hardly more than two years since I ordered them. You keep going at this rate, you're gonna give yourself a heart attack. <laughs> and yet, at the at the end of the same letter, she makes she makes this request, and I'm quoting again. Do you carry hardcover vocal scores by any chance? Like Bach's St. Matthew Passion and Handel's Messiah? I could probably get them here at Shermer's, but they're 50 cold blocks from where I live, so I thought I'd ask you first. I, I just love that she tries a bookshop across the Atlantic sooner than she would try one way down the street in New York City. At any rate, there is a glimpse into 84 Charing Cross Road. It, it truly is a delightful book, easy and quick to read, and while I don't know that I would call it a must-read, it's not like there's anything terribly deep about it, uh, yet it certainly is an enjoyable read. My only caveat is that there's just a couple of strong words, uh, Helene's rather fiery writing style on one or two occasions includes a word of profanity, but that is a rare occurrence. Overall, the work is thoroughly wholesome and cheerful and interesting. I would especially recommend it to people who love books, you know, for their own sake, or people who love England and those who just enjoy uh, history and culture. It's worth reading if you're looking for something light, uh, amusing, and heartwarming. Thank you so much for tuning in to the podcast today. Next week, for our second episode of the season, I am looking forward to reviewing a book by an author who is new to me. It's a sci-fi slash historical fiction novel called Doomsday Book by American author Connie Willis. I will go ahead and give you a heads up now. I am not going to be highly recommending this book, mostly because the writing style is pretty slow and repetitive, so it's a bit of a slog to get through. But it does have an intriguing, kind of timely storyline and themes that I am excited to share with you and discuss. We're talking um, epidemics and quarantines and Christmas time and incarnation. It's, it's a fascinating combination of ideas that Connie Willis is exploring in Doomsday Book. So even if you don't have time to read a novel as long and as admittedly slow as this one is, I do hope you'll tune in to the episode next week to hear more about it. That episode will be released on Wednesday morning, January 20th, according to our normal weekly schedule. Again, I am Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wham Productions, and if you want to learn more about me and my writing, just head to my website, kittywhamproductions.com, linked in the episode description. I hope you have a great week until we come back for episode two. 